Welcome to the Cornerstone Baptist Church Podcast. My name is Justin Wheeler. I am the preaching pastor for Cornerstone, and today we are in week 29 of our journey through the Heidelberg Catechism. All year we've been working through this old document, this wonderfully uh, rich old document of the faith, and we've been learning week by week um, things that Christians have believed and wrestled with and taught for generations. Uh, we are a little bit more than halfway through this particular catechism, and today we're going to be looking at Lord's Day 29. This is the 29th week of our work through this catechism. We're going to be talking about questions 78 and 79. And if you've been following along uh, the last couple of weeks, and you know that we've been talking about uh, the sacraments, or what we would call the ordinances. Uh, we spent several weeks discussing baptism and what that means, what it symbolizes, um, and last week, we started our discussion on the Lord's Supper, and we're going to continue that discussion. We're going to continue to focus our attention upon the ordinance of communion, or what we generally refer to as the Lord's Supper. Now, the Lord's Supper is a simple meal of bread and wine taken throughout our life of faith. Uh, it's something that Jesus commanded us to do. He encouraged us to do this, and as we did it, we were to remember specific things. We were to remember that the bread symbolizes Jesus' body that was broken, and that the blood symbolizes his, I'm sorry, the wine symbolizes his blood that was shed for the salvation of his people. Now, last week we introduced this topic and, and we focused on what the supper really means, what the elements pointed to, and, and we looked at passages in the New Testament that supported all of this. But today we are going to wade into one of the most significant theological debates in church history, and this debate has to do with whether or not the elements elements of bread and wine are ever more than just bread and wine. So let's go ahead and get into it. Let's look at question number 78. Are the bread and wine changed into the real body and blood of Christ? Now that's an odd question. And some of you already know why this question is being asked, because you're familiar with the Roman Catholic view of communion, known as transubstantiation. That is, they believe, the Roman Catholic Church teaches and believes that the bread and wine of communion or of the Mass actually become the body and blood of Christ. Now, I'll, I'll explain why they believe that in just a minute, but for now, let's take a look at how Heidelberg answers this particular question. Uh, are the bread and wine changed into the real body and blood of Christ? And the answer is no. Just as the water of baptism is not changed into Christ's blood and does not itself wash away sins, but is simply God's sign and assurance, so too the bread of the Lord's Supper is not changed into the actual body of Christ, even though it is called the body of Christ, in keeping with the nature and language of the sacraments. Now, Okay, a little bit of history. Um, next to the doctrine of justification by faith alone, no issue was more hotly debated during the Protestant Reformation than the doctrine of communion, now, or the Mass, if you will. Now, there were a lot of things that the Reformers were trying to uh, address, uh, not, not just justification by faith alone, but the the ground of our, our trust and understanding was Scripture alone, not Scripture plus tradition, all these different things. But for a particular reason, for one particular reason, this doctrine of communion or the Mass, the Roman Catholic Mass, it just became elevated and became a, a, a real source of contention 
And many people lost their lives because they disagreed with, they taught um, at variance with the Roman Catholic view. Now, the Roman Catholic Church held to the view of transubstantiation, and they taught that basically this. During the Mass, a miracle takes place by which the substance of the ordinary elements of bread and wine change into the substance of the body and blood of Christ. Now, they taught this because when Christ was instituting the Lord's Supper, Jesus actually said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And they took that language of this is my body very literally. Um, In fact, I would say more literally than they should have. Um, They rejected the idea that Jesus was referring to his body and and this bread and wine in some symbolic way. But the scriptures seem to support the fact that Jesus often spoke of himself in that way. For instance, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says at seven different points, I am. And in these I am statements, he says things like, I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. I am all of these different things. I am the resurrection and the life. And and he was talking metaphorically. These, These signs and symbols that he was pointing to were trying to help the people understand more about who he is and what he had come to do. And so I don't take uh, Jesus' statement of, this is my body, as him actually declaring that the bread and the wine become the body of Christ. But the Catholic Church did, and they still do. They still teach this. They still believe this. And oh, by the way, the Orthodox Church does this as well. Now, why did they arrive at this position? Okay, so there's this, this biblical Um, reference there that I've just mentioned, but there's also something else playing a part in their understanding. The the Catholic Church arrived, the Roman Catholic Church arrived at this position in large part by following the teaching of Aristotle. Aristotle believed that every object was made up of two distinct parts, its substance and its accidents. Uh, The substance referred to the deep essence of a thing. Uh, like what a thing really is deep down. And the accident refers to the surface appearance, what it it looks like and what it smells like and tastes like, those physical things that that we can experience. Now, normally, Aristotle taught, the substance and accidents of a thing existed in an inseparable relationship. They were always together. So the substance of a, a tree and the accidents of a tree remain a tree. They are they are inseparable in that way. The only way that these two things could could differ from one another, the substance and the accidents, is in the case of a miracle taking place. And in the case of a miracle, the substance could undergo a change. Now that is really the philosophy behind why the Catholic Church believes what they believe. So they had this language in Scripture, this is my body, and they wanted to take it literally, and they needed some philosophical uh, explanation that would allow them to logically assume that something like this has taken place. So they adopt Aristotle's philosophy, and now they can believe and they can teach that the substance of the bread and wine undergo a miraculous change during the Mass, and therefore they came up with their particular view of transubstantiation. And that's why the Mass is defined as a miracle, Um, a miracle that takes place resulting in the change of substance in the bread and wine. Now, the Protestant reformers rejected this view, and they rejected it for many reasons. They rejected that philosophy of Aristotle in, in large part, Um, And they also rejected that the scriptures actually taught that. 
But um, it's important for us to know that the chief reformers, I refer to the chief reformers as Luther, Calvin, and Zwingli, um, they did not agree on how the church should understand the elements of the communion. They, they, they did agree that uh, the Roman Catholic view of transubstantiation should be rejected, but they weren't in agreement on what should take its place. Luther, Calvin, and Zwingli all taught different things. Well, what did they teach? Well, I'm going to summarize this pretty quickly. Luther taught that while the elements did not become the body and blood of Christ, nevertheless, Christ was still present when the supper was being eaten. Luther argued for what is termed the real presence of Christ in the Lord's Supper, that he was physically present even though the the elements didn't become his body and blood. He was still there. And the the Lutheran church still teaches a a version of this, even though they they don't like the title it has been given. The title that has been given to Luther's view is consubstantiation. And the Lutheran church really argues against this because it, it tends to tie them too much to transubstantiation and the views of the Roman Catholic Church. But there it is. Luther believed that there was what was called the real presence of Christ in the Lord's Supper. In, under, and around, he would say. And he, too, would refer back to Jesus' statement that this is my body. Uh, And he would just argue on those lines. Now, Calvin disagreed with Luther's view and the Roman Catholic view. Calvin taught that the elements of the bread and wine remained bread and wine. Um, And he also taught that the Lord's Supper was, in large part, a memorial meal. That there was no real presence, no, no physical presence of Christ in the Lord's Supper. But Calvin didn't stop there. He argued for what we would only understand as a spiritual, mystical presence of Christ at the Supper. Now, he's basically um, jumping off of his, you know, the, our normal view of the omnipresence of God. Uh, this idea that Jesus is always present with his people. And I would agree with that, right? But Calvin would argue that Jesus is more specifically present at the supper than at other times. In Calvin's view, the participants, those who are receiving the supper, they feast on Christ by faith and by doing so, experience his presence through the work of the Holy Spirit in a unique and special way. Now, um, I can buy some of what Calvin teaches on this, but to be quite honest, I can't accept all of it because his view is far too mystical. Um, Yes, Christ is with us in the person of the Holy Spirit, and he's with us always. Jesus said that he will never leave us nor forsake us. But none of this means that Christ is more present with us or that he is present with us in some greater way through the Lord's Supper than he is at other times. So, what's the third view? Well, you've got the transubstantiation of the Roman Catholic Church, which we reject. You've got the Lutheran view of consubstantiation, which we also reject. You've got Calvin's view of the mystical, spiritual presence of Christ, which is a little too mystical for me, as a matter of fact. And then you have what is called the memorial view. And this is the view that Ulrich Zwingli taught. Um, He taught that the Lord's Supper was simply a feast of remembrance. There's nothing mystical about the supper. There is no real or spiritual presence to get all worked up about. The bread and wine remain bread and wine as symbols and reminders of Jesus' death and all that it means for the believer. And that by faith, we are coming to the table, we are receiving these elements, and we are remembering 
Now, in case you were wondering, this particular memorial view is the one that we hold at Cornerstone. And um, the Heidelberg kind of leans a little more towards Calvin's view of the spiritual presence. Uh, but here, I want to read for you our statement of faith. This is from the Cornerstone Baptist Church Statement of Faith. The Lord's Supper is an ordinance of Jesus Christ to be administered with the elements of bread and wine and to be observed by His churches till the end of the world. It is in no sense a sacrifice. Now, that's that's keying off of the Roman Catholic view. Because the bread and wine in their view becomes the body and blood of Christ, Christ is being sacrificed over and over again. And we hold that, no, it is in no sense a sacrifice. Rather, it serves to commemorate His death, to confirm the faith and other graces of Christians, and to be a bond, pledge, and renewal of their communion with Him and of their church fellowship. Now, I do believe that this is a healthy, uh, robust statement on the Lord's Supper. All of those little phrases and all those little statements mean something. And I honestly believe that this statement is consistent with Scripture as well as much of what we read uh, in the Catechism here in question 78 and 79. Speaking of question 79, let's look at that one and then we'll round out our discussion today. Question 79 says this, Why then does Christ call the bread his body and the cup his blood or the new covenant in his blood? Good question. Why did Jesus say these things? What do they mean? Well, the answer is this. Christ has good reasons for these words. He wants to teach us that as bread and wine nourish our temporal life, so too his crucified body and poured out blood truly nourish our souls for eternal life. But more important, he wants to assure us by these visible signs and pledges that we, through the Holy Spirit's work, Share in his true body and blood as surely as our mouths receive these holy signs in his remembrance, and that all of his suffering and obedience are as definitely ours as if we personally had suffered and paid for our sins. Now, this supper is an exercise in remembering the good news, the gospel, through a meal. It strengthens our faith because we are reminding our hearts that Jesus did die for us, that he was raised to show our salvation was complete, that by faith in him our sins are forgiven and eternal life is ours. When we eat the bread and drink the wine, we are remembering his death. We are declaring our trust in him again. And as we eat, our faith is nourished as the body is nourished by food. All of this is true and all of this is gloriously true. And I said it a few weeks ago, I'll say it again, that baptism and the Lord's Supper are blessings from Jesus to us. They're blessings in that, in this life of faith that we live, not by sight, but by faith, Jesus has given us these physical, tangible reminders of the spiritual realities that mark us and give us hope and confidence as Christians. We don't just think about what Christ has done. We experience it through baptism. We don't just think on Christ's death. We celebrate it with a meal, and that meal can turn our uh, memorial into worship. The Lord's Supper is for us a celebration to remember the work of Christ. The Supper is a reminder that a new covenant has been struck between God and His people, and it is secured by Christ's blood, the precious blood that cannot fail. This Supper, it's a memorial of the body and blood of Jesus that purchased forgiveness and eternal life for all those who believe. And each time we eat this bread, and each time we drink this cup, we remember we remember the Lord's death and we declare that we are His blood-bought people and we do this together. And we're going to do this until He returns.
Now, next week, we're going to continue our study in the ordinances. We're going to look at the Lord's Supper again. We're actually going to look at the difference between the Pope, the, I mean, not the Popish Mass, but the, the Roman Catholic Mass and our understanding of this supper. So I hope you'll join me again next week as we look at Lord's Day 30, questions 81, 80, 81, and 82. Now, if you want to learn more about Cornerstone Baptist Church, you can find us online at cornerstonewiley.org. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at CBC Wiley. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstonewiley. And you can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play to stay up to date on all the new content. Thank you so much for listening.